0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. Man, it's been a little while since I've said that. Uh, The last time we released an episode was when we had the wonderful Robert V.S. Reddick and Blaze on our show, and we're super excited to have them back again because, as promised, we are here kicking off our book discussion buddy read of the chathryn voyage with book one the red wolf conspiracy and again returning to the show is robert vs reddick thank you so much for being here
1: really glad to be here
0: the pleasure is all ours and with us as well is our discord master blaze from under the radar books blaze thank you so much for coming back thanks for having us charles and dylan can't wait to get this uh review started me neither this was a long time coming we've been planning this for a long time we announced the discord about a month ago we had a really fun giveaway robert you, you personally signed it was very thoughtful i thought when i saw the images of people like posting it when they received it um copies of the first book and the discord has been going as we've read through the red wolf conspiracy and i have to say blaze robert your your fan base that we've gotten to talk to for the first time has been really awesome and supportive and uh, we feel privileged just to have been a part of that discussion so thank you both for for connecting us with this community
1: thanks for making it happen it was my first time doing a discord chat like that and um, it was really an honor to meet new new readers and and to do it in this new format was cool
0: Great, yeah. I I wonder what it was like, to, like be part of this Discord where people are talking about your own work. What was the what was um, it like going through the whole um, chatting with people as they were reading the book? What was your experience like hearing the fan reactions in real time?
1: That was great. The only thing is, I felt like you know I ought to, I ought to let people read, you know, and not be uh, <laughs> the author who's hovering, you know. <laughs> like some, you know, cook who watches you while you're eating in a restaurant, you know, I always hated that. Not, not that I actually had that experience too often. I've been in those kind of restaurants, but, um, you know, I, so, so it was terrific. I tried to keep a pretty low profile, um, just, you know, chime in when I had something that I thought might really enrich people's experience and, uh, and, uh, wait for questions. And, um, it was, it was really enlightening what people noticed and what, um, mm-hmm. You know, the comparisons they were making to other writers that hadn't occurred to me and the things they found were that were funny, the things they found that were, you know, gave them an ache in their heart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's nice. I mean, you get you get letters, you know, the, the old school way, which is not real time at all, right? And um, right. and that's wonderful too. But um, you know, the
2: Oh my god,
1: I just read when Sandor Ott did X was was fun. That kind of thing was really fun.
0: That's funny. yeah. And and Blaze, what was it like having Robert just come in and chime in and talking with people in your Discord? I'm sure that must have been <laughs> quite a ride.
2: Yeah. So normally with our Discord discussions, it would be me saying, okay, I've read up to chapter 10 or something, and here's what I noticed, or here's what hit me really hard, or here's like what, well, I, I didn't say like what to look out for. That would be cheating. But right. um, and then in the background, I know Robert would come in saying, Yeah, this chapter was hard, hard to write, or this section was um took me a long time. And here's here was my thought process behind it. It was really enlightening. I've never had an author join a read-along or a Discord before. So it was definitely a great experience and great, great to have you aboard,
0: Robert. That was a lot of fun. I can't wait to continue with um with the rest of the series. That's right. for me it was such a fascinating experience to be going like chapter by chapter almost getting people's reactions thoughts and then when there was a prudent question coming up having the author himself come in it was a lot of fun and that is still active we're already going into the rats and the ruling sea book two. so if you if this sounds of interest to you and you're just hearing about it for the first time uh, please check out link to the discord i'm sure i'll put it in the description and we'll put it on all our social media and stuff you're never too late to join in on the conversation can even jump back into the uh, red wolf conspiracy stuff and and chime in there too we all get those messages so just a really unique opportunity just these are three coming together with our various talents and 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 just um fanboying over this uh the series. And that kicks off our red wolf conspiracy. We got to get into this book, guys. And I think very quickly, um Dylan, if you want to give one of your famous uh spoiler warnings so we can get into the meat and potatoes of the book.
3: Gladly. So We'll be covering the Red Wolf Conspiracy in full here, and we won't be holding back on any spoilers. So if you haven't yet read the Red Wolf Conspiracy, then now's a good time to pick it up and check out Blaze's Discord, where you can chat with the author himself. But uh, it might also be a good time to turn this down in your headphones, but. Before we get too deep into it because uh there are going to be spoilers coming your way
0: yeah absolutely we are now in the spoilers territory so red wolf conspiracy book one of the Chathran voyage what stuck out to me right away was the setting of the ship itself the Chathran and I've always loved the water and boats and like my imagination was running wild trying to picture a 600 year old ship with like hundreds of people on it basically having its own ecosystem, and I was wondering Robert if you could. share a little bit of some of your inspiration with this series, with this setting with this ship and maybe some of the like research or history that went into your your passion for this for this setting
1: yeah gladly um yeah i guess the people have said before it's like you know the chathrams the ship was very much like a character and i guess i I I didn't think of that at the time, but afterwards I see why people sort of say that. Um, and um, so inspirations were many. I mean, the the whole series I think maybe I mentioned last time. It began with this really odd um, coincidence, I guess that you know I was in, in another life where I would sort of pressed a long pause button on my my dreams of being a fiction writer. You know, I went off and worked in international development. Uh, that took me to um, Argentina, working with park rangers, and I was in a a provincial park called Peninsula Valdez, and, um, you know, I was walking along these foggy cliffs by myself and staring off into the wind and the fog and just, you know, just imagined the, the centuries of treacherous sailing that had happened in this place and then thought, you know, what if standing here right now, I saw one of those tall ships of York, come careening out of the fog and, and wreck itself on the, on the rocks. And, you know, da, 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 there goes the writer's brain kicking in. And my, my social research kind of took a backseat for a while. And then I just started, you know, kind of in an involuntary way, just spinning and spinning and spinning story in my head there. But then when I was actually trying to design the ship itself, you know, the one in the story as as it evolved, part of it was I knew it had to be really, really big. Um, I didn't know I was writing a four book series when I began. I thought I was going to just write one fantasy novel and I thought it might be the only fantasy novel I ever wrote because I was, you know, I was pretty serious about um, quote unquote literary fiction and mainstream fiction. Mm -hmm. But uh, I knew it would have to be big to to be the setting for all or most of of a long tale, and um, at that time, you know, when I wasn't running around in South America, I was uh, I was living in Portland, Maine, and I had a, the great advantage there. That, you know, I'm not really a sailor, but there were sailboats that went just by my my office window non-stop day and night um i could actually see three lighthouses out my window it was an insanely beautiful place to live um three lighthouses and, <laughs> that's a lot of lighthouses. crazy <laughs> yeah they just it was the, the trick of the land i mean um none of them were with people or anything one of them had been built to be a real old-fashioned lighthouse and two of them were just like actually more like signal lights you know but on big towers mm-hmm. um but uh Portland, Maine hadn't been really gussied up for tourists that much yet in those years. Um, We were just a few years away from it, but it was still a really kind of a gritty working port. I mean, Bath Ironworks was there building um, components for destroyers for the Navy and so on. And and right offshore, there was this incredible thing. It was a World War II era dry dock. The thing that you would um, sail huge ships into to uh, do work on their hulls. Um, so you could, you know, I don't quite know how these things worked, but somehow or other it would allow you to, uh, in a controlled environment, get down under the hulls of enormous steel ships. And I was talking to a Naval historian you know, about this thing one day and he said, yeah, you could never get a, um, a, a an aircraft carrier in there, but if you want to know what the aircraft carriers of uh, the World War II era, looked like picture of them standing that high out of the water and being about a hundred yards longer <laughs> and uh, and i was so stunned by that because this thing was really close to shore and it just i mean it, it just dwarfed everything it was rusty and must have weighed you know 10 billion tons <laughs> and to think that you know there were these these things called aircraft carriers and of course the world war ii ones were tiny by today's um, standards but as it turned out when I started thinking about the kind of the size ship I needed, the, the Chathrand is just about the same size as a world war II aircraft carrier, only okay. it's a sailing boat <laughs> and it's wooden. So right. it could not be built with any wood that's grown on planet earth. So I also had to you know, think about trees that would have the tensile strength for this sort of thing. And so, on. but, so there's a couple of things. And then research just really briefly, I, I, um I did go out on tall ships, um, some out of Boston, you know, where you can, pay to do that and um, off of Cape Cod and um but more useful than that was crawling around inside antique sailing ships that um various ports around the world has um, kind of as floating museums like in their capital cities and so on you know like the USS Constitution um in Boston and the um and the HMS victory you the know, Lord Nelson's ship in, um, in the UK. Those were two that mm-hmm. blew my mind.
0: I can say so, yeah. one of the things that impressed me most about the chatrand as a, as a setting, and he, you could say as a character is that sense of scale, right? Because you're talking about, it is massive, like there's different layers and some people will never see certain layers of the ship, but then you go and you make sure you have characters that are, you know, like sentient rats and the Ixchel who are very very small and they're crawling through tight spaces and pipes and corridors like you were describing crawling around the underbelly of old wooden ships and when you think about it's a massive ship there's so much you can do with that and then you choose scenes where you're in very tight confined spaces crawling through pipes like the juxtaposition of that really made it seem this like massive I always like to say it's, a, it's an ecosystem on itself, right? It's got its own everything. And to see just the scale where you take us out and then pull us way, way in as well is absolutely fascinating. Like, the like, I'm going to have a super big ship and then I'm going to have a character that's maybe like six inches tall <laughs> live on that ship. You know, it's a funny yeah. juxtaposition to see.
1: That was really fun to write too, because it did, it made it even bigger. Yeah. Right. Um, it just, it made the canvas that I could play with that much larger. Uh, yeah, yeah. To I have the, the rats and the, and the x chill. Yeah.
0: So this series originally came out, I believe, 2008, 2009 was one It was first published. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Book one came out in 2009 in the UK and I think it was 2011 in the States, if I'm
0: remembering that right yes wow it's so it's been quite a while now i wanted to get a sense robert of what it was like revisiting the red wolf conspiracy for you as the author and because this you you, you revisited the book to be part of the, uh, the the discord and to be part of um these con- these books so, so i was just wondering what what was it like to like come back and revisit your own work and read it now as like a as a reader versus as when you were writing it
1: much more relaxing <laughs> because it's done, you know, and I'm sure I'd find things I'm like, Oh, it's too bad. I did that. But, you know, it's published. I don't have to worry. I, 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 it, it does no good to worry, you know? So in that sense, it was, uh, yeah, that, uh, my, my blood pressure didn't go up like it would, uh, in the, in the initial writing, but it was, um, it was lovely. I mean, the, the truth is I, I really feel for these characters. Um, and, I think you know that is probably. I've got this little theory that you know everybody's strength as a writer is also their weakness, or potentially you know that whatever you know makes your work really shine uh, is always flirting with something that could just make it unbearable. <laughs> I think it, like my favorite authors always have that like, oh, that's just so amazing how this person does this, and he does it so well, and he does it so well, and I wish he would just quit doing it now, you know, because he's doing, you know, you know because it just you know you skirt on that edge of like being you know, over the top or, or too much of a good thing. And so Hmm. where am I going with that, that comment? Uh, (laughs) I don't know where I was going with that comment, but, um, you know, you see that those sort of things that you might want to change, but uh, it's, uh, it's done. Um, Well, I know what I, where I was going with that. So I think that my, my gift slash curse is how how much I, I, I really, really, really feel for, care for, and ache for my characters. You know, That's certainly an asset and it can also be a liability. You know, it can make you do things quite poorly if you let it get out of control as a writer. And it can also make you swing for the fences, which is a good thing. Hmm. You know? do, do any so, like examples so,
0: come up for you from the Red Wolf conspiracy uh, or just in general, the way the characters go through some of the dangers of the story?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, um, Selfra, you know, poor rat. <laughs> it's
0: just getting started. Um, he goes through the ringer for sure. He
1: goes through the ringer. And I mean, and yeah, this is only book one. But, um, I, you know, when yeah, you, think you know, about I, the I, life I, of
0: a rat, you know, it's not very glamorous, always danger. People are always trying to swat at you and it can't you be bite easy. off your
1: tail. And, yeah. <laughs> exactly even your fellow rats treat you like a rat. Exactly. <laughs> you know, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I probably, you know, I, I would just, Oh God, I'm going to, am I really going to do that to him? And then I think, you know, wait, I'm not doing that to him. The story's doing that to him, you know, and, that that's, right. and it, it needs it. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I won't give any spoilers for what is ahead in the next books tonight, but um, mm-hmm. there were moments when we're facing mortality with certain characters mm-hmm. where that, really really just you know stabbed me through the heart oh. and you know and uh i think you have to you have to face that right mm-hmm. you, when you're uh when you're telling its tale you can't um you can't sort of just smooth those things aside to make it an easier process um not if you're gonna like i say swing for the fences to try to you know give the reader the most uh fulfilling experience you can
0: that's interesting yeah because it's almost like you need to have that awareness as an author it's like there's what you would write as a fan of these characters and then there's what you'd write as someone who's trying to get an honest reaction out of a moment or for on behalf of a reader you know it's like if you're if you're not feeling those things how would the reader ever feel those things you know that's this kind of sense i get from these moments very so the well fact put, that you're yeah. the fact that you're willing to go there and, and risk some of these characters that you work so hard to create in a setting you work so hard to create and just risk it all is uh is very admirable <laughs> so this I'm the only one in this whole group that has is reading the chatterine voyage for the first time both blaze and Dylan this is their at least second read through'm I'm not, I'm not going to speak for them but what I wanted to know I wanted to talk to you blaze about now you've been revisiting the series and you've been chiming the discord a lot about your newfound appreciation for some moments in the book through the reread blaze would you care to share some of the like experience you had as a rereader of the series
2: yeah so rereading the series after god it must have been five years since i first read red wolf conspiracy i remember the first like five or six chapters how vividly the characters speak to me and also how each chapter kind of blends into the next one. For example, the first chapter, is about Pazzle, And then it ends, oh, well, we're going into spoilers now. It ends with him being abandoned at a port by the ship that he was on. And then the next chapter begins, it's of the Ixchel looking at him through uh, underneath the port. And then it leads on into the next chapter, which is Nihilus Rose and how a cat from um, the first chapter is also present in that chapter and how it keeps building and building and building on that. The writing style, I, I remember, it is just as beautiful as when I remember reading it. But layered into it is just little world building and little hints for something you wouldn't think is big. But knowing, remembering how the story goes, like that's going to a, play a huge part in what's going forward. And I just... going um, Revisiting that made me realize like, oh wow, this cha- this series benefits tremendously from a reread. And there's just so much there that I completely forgot about. And it's stuff you have to be discovered. And I can attest uh, to Robert, um, I'm like almost halfway through um, book two and the stakes are just raised to the nth degree with several characters. I'm not going to get into it on this podcast, but um, <laughs>
0: next yeah. month, guys, come back I,
2: and join this discord. Next month. <laughs> yeah. But the story starts out like the first five chapters is just hold on to your seats. So that's, it just brought me joy to relive these moments uh, once again.
0: So I'm that is to hear that. great to hear. Yeah. And that's well said. Um, I can only imagine because, again, this is a conspiracy, right? And even in this first book, it becomes apparent that there's conspiracies on top of conspiracies and a lot of intricate layers. And there's still three more books to go. So I was very curious of like, oh, someone who knows where this whole story ends up must be seeing patterns from the beginning. And it seemed like you were alluding to some of that just now and in the discord of like, wow, you can really like you guys don't even know I'm like this is happening. So yeah, it's interesting to see that. Um, Dylan, I've known your story with these books for so long. It it was almost like a first love for you in a sort of way. I'm going to speak for you when I say that <laughs> as a fantasy reader. And now that you're reading it again, fresh, we have yet to discuss our, our thoughts of the Red Wolf conspiracy. So uh, Dylan, what was it like for you revisiting the book one of the Chatham Voyage?
3: yeah so this is the first fantasy book i think outside of uh probably like harry potter and then the song Mice and fire books that i think i ever read (laughs) red wolf conspiracy so uh, yeah it's fond memories and goes back to way before i was an experienced fantasy reader and something that i really appreciate even more this time around going back Uh, with more experience is the uniqueness, both of the setting, uh, we've talked about that in detail, but also uh, some of just the the writing style. I mean, bringing out things like the secret journal of G. Starling, Feifengart, and uh, uh, then the editor's notes, which uh, uh, will continue. uh, and just like the footnotes and things like that uh, they add this flavor to the series and this book in particular that is just really unlike anything else that i can think of it's like uh, both uh, brings out all the wonder of fiction while giving you some of the fun flavor of uh, like almost a historical piece <laughs> put together and you can just tell the care that Robert put into uh, telling the story, creating this world, and it—what uh, uh, is that word? It's like, uh, geez, it's like a realness, verisimilitude. Robert probably knows that word. He's, he's <laughs> I <didn't> see <laughs> like, uh, uh, like it creates this really uh, vivid experience of reading that I just uh, haven't really uh, seen people use those uh, those storytelling. I get—I don't know if I actually call them tropes, like elements, like, oh, and the Nihilus Rose letters, things like that. Those stuck mm-hmm. out as being particularly uh, unique this time, where for all I knew when I was first reading it, this was like standard stuff that lots of fantasy books did, but that's not the case.
1: I really loved um, those epistolary chapters, the, you know, the the journal entries from um, the quartermaster, Fissengert, and uh, Captain Rose's letters to his uh his parents or his his father um those were really fun to write i think because um you know they were in such a different voice it was uh it was like just suddenly using completely different writing muscles for a little while kind of it was both a breather and a different kind of challenge It it was almost like you know starting to write a different book but you know i was at pains to make it feel like part of the same book i guess
0: And you were getting a lot of love for those chapters in the discord as well I read multiple accounts of people being like these chapters are so much fun they're so unique and lively and different and entertaining. And yeah I think Dylan you nailed it when you said it just brings a flavor to these books because I agree completely it's it's. Almost like you've fully been indoctrinated into this like captain's log sailing record kind of environment that adds to the setting. And it may seem unusual in like an elevator pitch to be like, oh, we're gonna switch like narrator voices and point of views and things like that. We're gonna get into notes and annotations and things. But when you think of the setting and and just the formality of the chat rand, it's it and the structure that it follows, it it all like leads into itself and like you said Dylan the, the flavor becomes very um complex so I, I I love that as well
1: my um my editors were they were supportive right but I, I could never quite generate the same excitement in them that um <laughs> that I was feeling myself like yeah again yeah, there's, there's going to be these these digressions by an editor you won't know who it is and and uh, letters from Captain Rose to his dead parents and and the, my editor would be like, oh, "That's great." And dragons, right? And uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you honestly
0: speaking, demons, I could please? definitely
1: see getting pushback from an editor on that
0: because it seems to break <laughs> a lot of rules and conventions of what you'd normally want from a story. It's like we don't necessarily want some author who's going to fanboy out over their sailing knowledge and derail the the story and distract readers, but that's not really the case but i could see an editor being hesitant when they hear you going down that path of like oh my goodness <laughs> but like you said yeah, you got to swing for the fences, right? the lines he,
1: he was like yes i can tell that you're excited <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> that's but good. that's you know if you excite you know if you're really really entertaining yourself i honestly think that's your best shot at entertaining the reader mm. you know not, not i mean not if you're like nuts and you know like, oh tugboats! Let me tell you about tugboats for ten pages. But you know, right. but if it's if it's potentially exciting and you're honestly excited, I think that can carry over. Yeah.
0: I would agree. It's like you said about swinging for the fences and and being and following the reaction you have while you're writing and chasing that. It's like that's uh, why are you writing if if not for those reasons? Uh, and I, it comes through in the books, and I think that's why you know we got so much love for those sections in the Discord. One of the things I wanted to get into, of course, we haven't talked about plot at all here. So, of course, we have the Chathrend is on its vital mission to deliver a young woman whose marriage will seal the peace between our call and its mortal enemy, the Mizithran Empire, of course. And this, of course, is Thasha. Uh, Tasha is like Dylan, you were mentioning in the Discord that Thasa was one of your more favorite characters in this book. And she certainly shines through for a lot of reasons. I remember in the beginning, just when she's talking to her teachers and her, I guess you'd call them teachers, you know, the people in this boarding school who are like, you know, you should probably go, but don't worry. It'll be fine. (laughs) They have confidence in her, but also are kicking her out at the same time, I think is such a great way to introduce this character. Who's not really playing by the rules, but is likable and is trying to do the right thing at the same time. It's, it was a great balance. So Dylan, why don't you come in and, uh, <laughs> you were the one championing Tasha the most, why don't you come in and, and share like some of your thoughts when you were revisiting the character?
3: Yeah, I've I've always been a huge fan of Arya Stark. And while Tasha's is a totally different character, I remember thinking the first time I read that the, the same part of me that liked Arya liked a lot of the aspects that we see from Thasha and that that first chapter it's really cool you get an idea her introduction always sticks out to me eh, uh, among all the characters it's a little bit later than you might expect for how i think primary character she is in the book but you get such a sense of how strong-willed she is mm-hmm. early on just that she's uh, living there uh, just uh, with such an uh, authoritarian Rule over everything she's supposed to be doing, but she uh, has always found a way to, I guess, maintain her independent thought. I, I always like the idea of her uh, having stabbed herself through with uh is it a, with a like a rose or a rose?
1: yeah, it's a sharp uh, broken off frond of a of a rose.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: In a in and a moment of she stabs herself
3: yeah and just using that as a reminder to uh, keep herself sane as she's going through it and uh, she's uh, got that kind of like a fighter woman aspect uh, or fighter girl she's still a teenager and I always thought that uh, her like spunkiness or creativity and she's pretty uh, clever you'll see I, I mean I want to spoil things that come later but uh, it's always stick stuck out to me how strong-willed she was and uh, yeah great character.
0: So Blaze was there um a certain character that stuck out to you this time on the reread?
2: Yeah, the character who stuck out more on my reread than more than the first time was um Ignis chadfellow Now <laughs> <laughs>
0: chadfellow nice. Yeah,
2: chadfellow So Ignis chadfellow has this kind of like is always butting heads kind of with Pazel throughout the whole story. And Pazel kind of thinks in the back of his mind that Ignis Chatfellow is like out to get him or he has some hidden agenda. It turns out he probably does. But the more, the later you get on in the series, you'll see what how deeper those revelations go and what his real motivations are. Um, even just, it was his, um, for those of you listening, Ignis Chatfellow was Pazel's teacher when he was on Ormali. And a lot of stuff happens with that, I'm not gonna ruin everything. Um, It just, just the layers and layers of um, character building that I remember with Chad Fellow, uh, was just really fun to watch. And also, um, Fiffinger and uh, Nihilus Rose, Uh, just rereading those guys, uh, again, brought back a lot of fond memories. And I forgot how much uh, Rose, I knew he was like a really uh, buff and angry character, captain but i forgot like how deep his like pain and how deep his kind of we can call it like madness goes but it's that's revealed more later down the road so those are just fun to to remember on my reread
1: (laughs) yeah i really loved writing um well each character differently but one who was always always fun to write was was uh nihilus rose captain rose because he's so nuts, you know he's he's um he's not too nuts to have an agenda he has a really strong, clear, consistent agenda that's completely egotistical but um you know it's completely self centered, but he's nuts enough that you know he's one of those characters when he's on the page he he's ready to do just any shit you know he'll he just can really um He's he's truly outrageous. I th- actually, I was thinking about this beforehand because someone asked me, you know, which characters did you like to write the most? And it probably came down to, you know, although I enjoyed them all for different reasons, if I had to choose, it would be a tie between Rose and and uh, Felter the Rat um, for, for opposite reasons, but because I think they're both real extreme characters, um, extreme in opposite ways. You know, Rose, as I say, he's extremely irritable and outrageous and cunning and feldrup is extreme in his naivete and also his sort of nobility and you know goodness of heart um but it leads both of them to be you know i guess you know as you pointed out blaze rose is also wounded so in a strange way he's vulnerable despite his like position of authority and power and his cruelty and you know his uh readiness and his glee to crush people when he can he's also very um very easily hurt um and felter obviously is very easily hurt being this small partially lamed rat and um but he's also you know he's just an open unprotected soul in his emotions because he's only been you know he's he's caught the um the disease of the 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 waking disease, the disease yeah. that creates woken animals. And so he's only been a sentient, self-aware creature of human-like intelligence for a short time. And everything's brand new. And everything appalls him and, and thrills him and fills him with hope and promise. And then, you know, he's when his hopes are dashed, it's, it's with the sort of absolute feeling that a baby has when something goes wrong. It's just un, instantly unbearable. So, it's uh, interesting, yeah,
0: I can imagine. It's interesting to compare the captain <laughs> with with uh our poor rat here because they're both they both have this um kind of juxtaposition around their characters. Like you said, Felthrop, he's awoken sentient being and he sees wonder and everything yet his cruel irony is that he's awoken to realize he's a rat at the bottom of the totem pole and gets (laughs) run through the ringer and he still somehow (laughs) manages to find wonder and all of that and then you're talking about captain rose's um, particular vulnerability as well so right yeah i think the fact that you have those kind of Dualities in both characters is an interesting comparison. I never thought to compare Felthrop with uh the uh, Captain Rose, but that's why we're here today. I think that I totally see it.
1: It's also when I think about Felthrop, I always think of him in sort of collision with other characters. And he seems to be at his best for me when he's um when he's interacting with people who take themselves too seriously. Because he just can't, you know, he right. he takes everything like at some level, like really seriously, because he's so deeply, he so deeply feels everything. And he's so sincere. His heart is on his paw at all times, but he's also just so lost and hapless that, you know, and smart at the same time that when Mm -hmm. I resourceful, I think he does a really good job of pointing out that the, you know, emperors have no clothes. So I love it when he's, um, you know, interacting with lady August or, or, um, Oh dear, here I am forgetting my own character's name it has been a long time. Uh, Lady Dree's uh, nephew, you mm-hmm. know what the- Talictrum, like uh, Is that? T-Lictrum, thank like you. Talictrum, yeah. Or or his father, Lord um, who really have a problem with not having any sense of humor whatsoever. You know, these these humorless people and then Felthrop, the involuntary clown comes in and changes things. Right.
0: there's some wisdom to be had in this like childlike way of wonder seeing the world right it, 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 taking things more on their honesty and their face value so when you're in the face of like conniving conspiracy stuff like that it, it just kind of falls flat and it kind of reveals some of the like absurdity of it you know? so it's kind of funny and then from a rat no less giving you these 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 philosophies it's very interesting to get that juxtaposition you know who else I'm sure really loved Feltrop was uh, audiobook narrator Michael Page he goes all in with that character throughout the 19 oh. hours of the book one of my you knew it was Feltrop coming up because he just committed to that role of playing the rat Feltrop
1: <laughs> Michael Page is a genius with voices I mean I, I, I think I mentioned to you once I counted up the characters and there's like 72 named active characters across the the series, and he did a voice for every one of them and made them distinct so you could tell them apart at a you know in three words incredible work just amazing.
0: You could tell mm-hmm. Felthrop apart from about half a word, I would think. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I totally agree; he's a very talented voice actor, and he didn't have to commit to like the high pitched, higher volume because, like, he was just awoken. So he's screaming everything. This is so <laughs> wonderful. The yeah. world is so great. I'm experiencing all these things, and it's crazy. Like, it's really a great way to capture the character. And I, from my perspective, as a mostly audiobook listener, I was really like getting a kick out of it through that. And I was like, Michael Page mm-hmm. is a talent. You know, and he did a great job, especially with with Felthrop the rat.
1: yeah, I was so lucky to get him. That's for sure
0: he's a great get, yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to the next book. I'm almost like debating if I want to go and read it when I know the audiobook is so good. you know, it's one, I'll probably have to do a combination of the two. But uh, one character I want to make sure we talk about before we move on is uh, Pazel Path Kendall, of course, our 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 main character. And this is someone who, I would argue is perhaps is my favorite character just because his I find his situations to be so interesting when you see like the the straight man antagonist character especially in fantasy you have so many set ideas about where his story is going to go, just as being a main character in a fantasy series. But what I am most fascinated about in Pazzle is he's about as tragic as it comes when situations happen to him. They're always as tragic as it can get, but somehow he maintains his, it doesn't face him too much. He's always worried about someone else or something else, or he's puzzling it out or, or something. And that, to me was always fascinating about him. You're told, oh, he was born into a noble family that was disgraced or whatever. And now he's like a tar boy. He he was educated and now he's just running around getting beat up on the, on the Chathrand. And I think one of my favorite moments of the whole book was when he was actually kicked off the Chathrand and kicked to shore. I was like, there's no way that we're gonna have a main character who's gonna be off of the Chathryn Voyage in the Chathryn Voyage Quartet, you know? I was like, how could this be? But then he went for it and just watching him get kicked out and then immediately getting like robbed and captured and sold as a slave. You're like, oh my goodness, this is is intense. Uh, uh, To me, I was just wondering, like, when you know you're gonna write a character that is like your main kind of protagonist straight man character, like, how did you go about from like fleshing him out and creating this
1: backstory for puzzle? Oh, the backstory. Well, so it, it came together in stages. Um, a nice thing about writing something that's part mystery is that you can, you can legitimately surprise yourself as you go. I think, you know, you have to have, you have to have the destination clear and sharp in your sights, but you can you can discover things about your characters that help you get there as you go. And I, I'm pretty clear in my memory that I didn't fix everything about Pazel's biography down, uh, you know, didn't nail it down like in um, a way that I was bound to until I needed to. So there were certain things I absolutely knew that are only hinted at in in the Red Wolf Conspiracy and that are, you know, made explicit later on. And then there are some things that I was not entirely sure about, you know, I'll give you an example. I mean, I knew a lot about his mother, mm-hmm. but I knew a whole lot more when she came on the page later on in the story. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and it goes also like, so with Chad fellow, who's a, you know, a very key figure in puzzle's life and, uh, and his, um 'er ne'er-do-well sailing captain father gregory path kendall all these people you know they they come to mean a lot to the longer story that unfolds across the four books and you know as as you learn more about them you learn more about what went into making puzzle but i didn't have all that down to begin with i think that um with main characters so far for me i only noticed this looking back but what's really key is to have a um a figure who has a um an ample sort of moral imagination now that doesn't you know i i, I haven't written yet a book where the main or the, you know the the single most important character is like a a dark antihero like someone we really uh find ourselves detesting i mean i have lots of characters you can detest but they aren't they aren't the pivotal characters of the book so far and i'm not sure i'm really um I'm not really moved to write that kind of a story. So, my main characters, my you know, my characters closest to the heart of the story tend to be ones that um, have a lot of empathy, that have that ability. As you said, you know, Pavel gets into terrible trouble, but one of the reasons he's not destroyed by all his suffering is because he, a large part of him, has to fight on and struggle on because he cares about other people. You know, maybe it's just mm-hmm. a few other people at a time, but. Um, uh, and I think that that's a, that's a sort of bedrock strength in him. I don't know where people get that, you know, that you, I think it's what a novel can do is sort of speculate on where that comes from and give you possible, uh, possible illustrations of where those sort of deep character traits can begin in a person, but we can't ever completely nail it down. That's sort of the mystery of life. It keeps us interested in other, other people now
0: was there anything that you knew going in as a writer when writing a main character that you knew you wanted to do or do differently it was like I want my main character to like not be this noble highborn I want him to be cut down and stripped to the bones like was there anything you knew going in for any of these main characters that you wanted to do or do differently
1: yeah lots of things um yeah I mean and I don't know that. the truth is I wasn't reading enough fantasy then to say well this is going to be different from everything right. else. I mean I was was and always have been really hung up on language. So I think where I um and, and just writing craft. So my starting point was not so much plot or you know the the basic beats or you know fundamental you know, common elements of fantasy. I wasn't so concerned or even aware of what those were in the dominant fantasy that was being published you know I just Mm -hmm. wasn't reading that much but what I was aware of was that a lot of the language and the craft when I would open just a typical sort of commercial fantasy book a lot of it the more popular stuff wasn't really doing it for me and that sort of pushed me back to thinking you know what do I where do I want to be different and it was there it was that I, I just wanted to I wanted to bring as much of whatever skills I had with craft of writing to this and not treat it as anything less than a literary effort just because it's also you know an entertainment and and a a fantasy adventure so that's where i wanted it to be different Um, but in terms of uh aspirations for the characters i mean yeah i wanted puzzle to not be um you know born to any kind of serious privilege i mean he's he's there are people a lot worse off than Puzzle, sure, but he, you know, he wasn't. Um, I mean, his his country ceases to exist when he's in his early teens. You know, it's invaded, mm-hmm. annexed, destroyed. He is, for all he knows, orphaned, but he's certainly, you know, stripped of everything, and he is forced into the service of this empire that looks on his people as as dirt. You know. He, he is darker skinned than the, the dominant Arkalis, you know, who, whose empire this is. They never let him forget that. They never or let him forget that he is um, third class at best. And um, he, and he's also, uh, he's not a citizen and they never let him forget that, that um, he does not have uh, any sort of safety in this world. You know, he can serve at the pleasure of Arkalis, but even other servant boys, if they have citizenship They lord that over him and can risk things that he can't. And so they can beat him up and do because they know that their punishment for beating him up will never be as severe as his. You know, he will be um, stripped from the right to serve on these boats and and possibly enslaved. Uh, They will just have to sign with another boat if they get kicked off. So, yeah, yeah, I wanted him to be uh, wanted him to be way down there and not, a, you know, not a prince in, in disguise waiting to be lifted back <laughs> up to his throne. Well,
0: in that aspect, I, I'd say you certainly achieved that it, it, right off the gate here with book one. And that was one of the things that I was being constantly being surprised as as a reader. You know, when you've read like tons of fantasy in a very short period of time like I have, you, you you think you can't be surprised anymore. But man, when puzzles getting kicked off that ship, I had no idea what was happening. I, I loved it. So, just those situations alone I think is what makes him such a unique character. Another thing that makes him so unique, you talked about language and how you wanted to approach this from a literary standpoint, but what you also have done is you have this theme running throughout your book. And before we get into discord questions, I want to make sure we talk about two themes, one of which is the power of language that you have in your stories, because there's certain moments where language is literally magic. And then you have other moments where language can do like it has put Pazel very far ahead, the fact that he can communicate with other species that no one else can has gotten him the attention of a lot of higher up people. So what I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on more is how you came to develop this theme of language and perhaps the the power of language and if you were intending on exploring that as deeply as i perceived it to be as the reader
1: well i i don't remember where it came from um i guess i can you know since we're since this is a spoiler permissible Mm -hmm. territory so puzzle's gift is that he's um it's a gift slash curse he he um has been afflicted by his mother with this uh with this spell that when it works correctly it allows him to immediately learn any language he's exposed to if he hears just a few words of it or reads a snatch of writing he learns that language as if he was born to it and he has it for the rest of his life and the flip side of that is that it doesn't always work. And he has these uh, these fits that come usually at the worst possible time in which uh, his brain just sort of rebels against all input and all input, but especially language becomes an absolute torture. Um, he can't shut it out. It's flooding his mind. It seems to, it feels to him like it's pushing his personality out through his ears. And he's, it, it is just absolute agony for him. and he falls down and fits, and people think he's possessed by devils and he's, you know, come close to being drowned by superstitious sailors a few times because of this. Right. So, you know, it, it was the sort of thing that once I thought of that, it became a really, um, it became a great tool to weave into the, the longer story. It just, it keeps coming back. And I thought, you know, if Puzzle's got this ability, what would a, uh, you know, he doesn't understand this thing that he that is in him, but other people who know about magic do understand it. They don't have it themselves, but they know that with this gift, when it's working correctly, there's a chance to use it to change the world for good or ill. Mm-hmm. And so when Ramachni, the, the, um, the benevolent mage of this story, uh, approaches him and says, if you really want to help, if you're serious, then let me have you listen to the sort of code in which this universe has been written behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and if you can stand to hear a little bit of that, you'll learn something that we can use for, with, with, you know, to great, great effect. You know, you'll learn a few master words, as he said, that will um, give you incredible power, and they might just change the fate of, of the world. And so, Posner agrees. And he receives these things, but he doesn't know what they do. He's got them. He knows he can only speak them once. And no, I, I don't know. I mean, I have read other books that are more literally using language as, um, as uh, the subject of the story. I think with me, it, it's just one weave in, in the story, but That's you know, similar. it's clearly something that I, that I enjoy. And also I just wanted the world to be linguistically rich. So there's lots and lots of different languages. And and I, as much of a, as a pain as it can be to do, um, see as, as the as the series goes on. There are lots of situations where I'm writing about characters and they can't talk because they don't have a common <laughs> language, and right. that's you know like, oh my god, how am I going to write this chapter now? They can't <laughs> talk to each other, they're you know, grunting and making hand gestures and so on but um but that's life you know you star trek might just wave its hand and say oh here's another planet where they're speaking english but there's no way i was going to do that (laughs) right
0: right yeah it's funny because so many other authors are saying what you're doing is basically writing a scene of two people talking in a room but then you take that away or it's like okay now these people don't speak the same language now there's a communication barrier Mm -hmm. now this guy can master language sometimes other times it makes him have fits it it's Mm -hmm like it becomes readily apparent. And like you said, the Chatham voyage isn't about you know one particular thing it's not even about one even particular character even these characters are all over the place and you know there's multiple different languages themes going on and i think that's why a lot of fans uh enjoy the series for itself is just how much bigger the story has to go and there's still three long books are waiting for us here it's going to take us under three months to go through it so i'm curious to see how puzzles um Relationship with language continues to develop throughout the series because I can just tell that language is a passionate part of the inspiration for the story. So, really looking forward to seeing that continue because he's used one word, right? So there's still some more yeah. left in the arsenal. <laughs> um, I'll just
1: tell you one thing: he he gets to meet a um, very very non-human creature in the next book, and his exposure to that language really rocks his world <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm looking i won't forward go to. further than that <laughs> yeah yeah because you know some of us haven't read the other books yet me but i'm looking forward to it and uh, i'll remember this moment when that comes up i'll see if i can if i can identify the moment but the only other theme i wanted to touch on before we went into the questions from the discord was this I guess you'd kind of call it this idea of a, a found family. Um, there's a quote like literally at the end of the book from Ramachini that I would just like to um, just paraphrase very quickly for the audience. And then uh, Robert, I'd love to get some of your actions behind like how this came to be the final message in your first book of the Chathrin, uh voyage. So what I love about it is Neeps like, you know, um, you have this whole situation, right? You have this, Wonderful wizard character who's capable of doing everything, but his power is fading. You know, and he's like, "Oh, I have to, I have to go now, and, and I'll be back." And then Neep's is like, "We can't fight them alone." And then he goes, this is true, you cannot, but when were you ever alone? My part has not been so very great. After all, you've been saving one another since the ship left Ethahord. And he goes into how every individual person did something that played an integral part in saving themselves outside of his wonderful magical ability. And then he goes on to say, victory is a shadow of the horizon. And whether island or illusion, you can only learn by sailing. And then the last one of the last lines of the book, and yet there are reasons to be hopeful, even to rejoice, you are a clan now. And as Dree can tell you, a clan is a powerful thing, which great way to end the story because you really do have now the stage is set with all these characters through adversity coming together. And the only thing that makes them powerful is their relationship with each other. And one of the things I wanted to say was, what was the decision to to end the book in this way? How did you come across this theme of like, you know what, I want this found family hopeful moment at the end here?
1: <laughs> I mean, it just felt honest, really. Mm-hmm. It, um, logistically, there's this great big thing about to happen, which, um, you know, originally it, it, I thought that I would have the um, the... Wedding scene. I don't want to give too much away in in the Red Wolf conspiracy, but then I realized that it was going to be touching off such an avalanche of events that it really belonged at the beginning of a book and not at the end of a book. Um, so, you know, it, it, to some degree, having them having our our protagonists you know, when they finally stopped fighting each other, found each other, realized that they are allies because they spend, you know, a good amount of time. They don't begin on the same page, right? We've got, you know, the, the Ixchel are against human beings and everybody, you know, everybody's learned to stomp on Ixchel. And humans have always hated Ixchel and humans always kill rats when they see them mm. on a the ship. And, yeah, it's just, you know... Puzzle and his best friend Neeps are sort of antagonists with Sasha at first until they, you know, realize that they've got things in common and, mm-hmm. um, and like each other. Uh, when when they finally work that out and, and the trust issues are sort of partly resolved and, you know, they, they really have formed this um, closeness, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, found family, as you say. I, I thought, you know, that is... That's what they've really accomplished at this point, other than surviving, you know, is that they have, their enemies have been organizing for decades, Mm. at least. They've been playing massive catch up and they've been on the back foot for most of this, this book, it's just been slap, 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 oh my gosh, oh my gosh, slap, and they just, they sort of get their feet together and slap again, but Mm. But they have this integrity that slowly lets them find each other and recognize that integrity in each other mm. and then by the you know one they've survived and two they have formed this coalition this 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 pact this um alliance right. well, that's basically what they've yeah. done, so it seemed like I should stop there right.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think one of the most endearing qualities of this book, one of the most touching things for me is when I think back on the steam you have that Ramoshni pretty much says, it's like, by suffering together, you've been able to like find each other and find peace and hope in each other through your collective suffering. It's like how many of us in our personal lives, like when we're Going through struggles of our own, seek out other people that are also struggling and talk through it together and overcome it together. You know, it's a v- very much a part of like the human condition. And ending it on that note, because like you said, it's slap after slap after slap, which always kept me surprised and engaged as a reader, and I loved it. And then to bring it home with the theme of like, hey, we're all suffering together, and there's power in that, and there's hope in that, and. So far, you you haven't really been defeated. So far, you're so like, don't worry too much about me not being there when you all have each each other. Which I oh, think that's right, because right, Ramachand
1: leaving. Yes,
0: right. right
1: yeah, <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a long time. Yeah,
0: yeah because he's like you know, I, I picture like. Every time Gandalf goes away, and everyone's like, "No, please don't leave then He comes back and like does some uber powerful thing and saves the day. So it's like, why would you ever leave? Please don't go. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like a similar thing. Yeah, Rematch
1: is kind of my like Gandalf, yeah, even though he's a little he's a little mink, <laughs> but he's uh, he's he's you know objectively the most powerful of the allies. right but with
0: very clear um you know limitations to what he can do you know he he, what's interesting about his powers is the things he can do but also the things he he can't do his weaknesses you know which is like oh very limited in this world i need to recharge my batteries like all these other things yeah it
1: was funny when he was the walrus and then he was the pelican and i
0: was like that's (laughs) so funny i was like oh cute
1: (laughs) yeah that's right because he doesn't come from this world he is sort of um He's sort of a good Samaritan um who doesn't have to be there at all, but who steps in when he can
2: mm-hmm.
1: and gets um, too drained and sort of like you know like my bluetooth headphones if I walk too far away from the <laughs> from the computer it's sort of that way with Ramachney and his magic. he can only stretch it so far
0: an apt analogy <laughs>
1: I like that so yeah.
0: I think we're coming towards like near the end of the podcast. And before we do that, I want we got so many great questions on the Discord. Some Robert already jumped in and answered. Some still left to be answered. So I wanted to turn it over to Blaze now for a little segment we're going to call uh, Questions from the Discord. Uh, so I would encourage everyone if, you know, there's a lot of plot that we didn't react to, but you know what? You have a direct line of communication to all of us through Blaze's Discord. So feel free to join. We'll still be active on the Red Wolf community. Conspiracy section as well as now the rats and the ruling C section. So don't feel like you can't start um, responding to Red Wolf stuff today because we're going to be active on it for the next several months. Um, but now what we get to do is Blaze has um, selected some of the questions from the Discord that we're going to discuss, and and Robert will provide some insight as the author. And I'm super excited about this segment. Actually, this is great. I saw some really good questions pop up kind of last minute today that I'm looking forward to talking about
2: oh thank you very much charles um and some of these we did touch on but i'll just jump right into it so robert with the benefit of hindsight would there be anything you would like to change about the red wolf conspiracy
1: yes yeah i'll be quick uh the name neeps i know that neeps to this day kind of wishes his um his grandmother had chosen another name for him than neeps i feel bad for neeps that way Um, and I honestly, I think Sasha feels a little younger than she ought to in a few of the early chapters, you know, when I go back and look at that, um, that was a newbie author mistake. I'll just own it. Um, her character, you know, and, you know, if if I want to be kinder to myself, I could say Sasha was figuring out who the hell she was too at that age as, as one does. Right. But, um, she seems a little a little silly at a couple of moments when I think that she might not have been if I had seen her more clearly, or maybe if she you know maybe she'd understood herself a little bit more. Those are the two big things with the Red Wolf Conspiracy.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Tasha and Pazel are both sixteen, so they're both figuring each other out, and I enjoy Neeps. He's uh, he's kind of like the uh, comical like offset to, to Pazel, so I always enjoyed his uh, little interactions with him. So our next question is, um, how did you familiarize yourself with the anatomy and language of uh, sailing ships?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, I I touched on this a little bit, but um, in brief, I did a hell of a lot of research. I'm not a sailor. (laughs) I grew up in Iowa, um, which is pretty far from the ocean. Uh, But um, I just took it on, you know, it's like if I'm going to am I going to write this story or not? And if I'm deciding to write it. I've got to learn. So yeah, I went out on boats as much as I could. And you know, I talked to some uncles who sail and friends who sail um, and sailors and um, just hung around with them and also read and, read and read and read and read and read and read. I read, you know, fiction. I read everything Patrick O'Brien's ever written. Uh, you know, just um, the old classic like C.S. Forster. Tons of nonfiction. I, I read, you know, detailed manuals of how to, um, Handle the ship in rough weather, and the old um, logs of, of people who signed on to ship in the 18th century and went around the world—you know, just just everything. And you know, the more I took it in, the more I felt like maybe I can do this. Now, I would say a a real master like Patrick O'Brien or an official sailor, even if they, you know, gave me the liberty of saying, "All right, it's a fantasy boat. You couldn't build a wooden boat that," et cetera even allowing for that, they would see things that I have the boats do and say, no, that that, that probably couldn't work. But um, I think I got close enough that the sailors who've chimed in have been pretty darn satisfied. You know, they'll, they'll certainly, they can sharpshoot a whole lot of holes in my sailing expertise. But, but overall, I think that, um, you know, the, the realities of, I I didn't want to just sort of wave my hand and say, ah, magic. You know, I wanted to say, this is what you have to do to make, you know, basically in short, I wanted to engage with the difficulty of physically making ships sail, not just have it be, oh, fantasy, therefore it works. So I I read about it, studied it. When I could have got my hands on it, did the best I could. That's the answer for that.
2: Yeah. And you did a fantastic job uh, with, um, with all the, the sailing and all of the nuances of what it takes to run a ship. I was very, very impressed. Uh, our next question is actually a, a two-parter. I'm at, I'm inserting the second part. So the question is, is there anything you put into the rebel conspiracy that made you laugh? And then the second part of that, is there anything you put into that that just crushed you uh, emotionally?
1: Oh gosh. Well, yeah. I mean, I think this is actually sort of a, um, this will be an answer to two questions in one because one question I got on, on the side was, did I have a favorite chapter to write? So, and it's it's also the chapter that made me laugh the most. But um, there's a chapter called the Mad King where it's it's one of those um, letters that uh, that crazy Captain Rose is writing to his father, his father wherever his father is. Um, And what's going on that he's writing about is they've they've reached the prison island, the the Imperial prison island, where they're picking up the uh, the Mad King uh, who they have some terrible use for, and some terrible plan for, uh, that involves destabilizing the um, enemy empire that they're supposedly making peace with. And uh, what I loved about that chapter is just, okay, He is insane. He thinks, he doesn't seem, the the, the king, the Shagat Ness, he doesn't seem to quite realize he's been deposed and and spent decades living on a prison island because they've on him so much. He's got this horrible, terrifying sense of personal power still that make people afraid of him, even though he's just a prisoner on a prison island. You know, the the warden of the entire island, the entire prison system is, is scared witless of this prisoner. And everyone in that chapter for one reason or another just has to participate in this in this pantomime of madness, right? Because they're they're getting ready to do this thing they can't admit. The the the, the central chess piece in this thing they're getting ready to do is psycho. He's completely living in a dream world. And yet it's the the power to make others believe is what makes him useful so they they sort of have to coddle him in this in this right. delusion and they all start acting like they believe it and they start like wait a minute but i don't believe this right, <laughs> right. He, he is just a crazy person right he isn't a god right oh uh, uh. <laughs> right, and that right. was just so much fun to write because there's a sense that everyone's sort of tenuously keeping their grip on reality and i loved that so that was really fun yeah and i laughed out loud a lot when i was writing that yeah. uh, and then, did, Breaking My Heart, yeah, sure. I mean, I felt, um, I mean, spoiler territory a bit, but the, the major heartbreaks are to come in the next books, the oh, big gosh. ones, um, but yeah, yeah. So this one, I mean, I don't know that it broke my heart, but you know, I felt very, very, uh, I felt bad for Kloost. We haven't talked about her, Kloost, the, the uh, mirth mm-hmm. girl. Um, because she's another sort of innocent there's no reason for her yeah she eats people okay but she's basically a very very innocent soul um because that's what they do right they they're carnivores they're they eat people they eat shellfish it's all the same to them um but uh Kloos falls in love with puzzle because of a backfiring love spell um, and then he leaves and she's just absolutely crushed and can't um can't fight it off because the spell has stripped away any protection it's just left her you know with uh, her heart torn open but then also um it's a very very minor part of the book but uh, do you remember when um the flicker woman the flicker who rescues pausel and nurses him back to hell um we pausel himself is terrified of this species you know the, the flicker men as they're called which are these you know creatures where they have translucent torsos you can see all their, their their organs light up when they get excited and he's just always been taught that they're horrible terrible creatures who you know deal in human beings as you know flesh traders, and that's all they can be in his imagination then he meets one who doesn't live like that at all and who's been nursing and rescuing people from slavery all her life and realizes how lonely she is because she has to um She'll never be accepted by human beings, but she's betraying the sort of trade and, and uh, the merchant trade that a lot of her people in, in engage in. So she's super, super alone, and she's only alone because she's moral. And all he can really do is say thank you and and walk away and leave her at that. So that was that was a sad moment because you know she was this noble minor character who just like a lot of people does something good because she's figured out that it's good and you know doesn't get to go off and be an adventurous right
2: yeah, yeah. that was a very sad scene i'm just remembering that and i'm like oh i forgot about that but it touched home and the final one i have is um you already talked about who your favorite character is to write you said uh, captain rosen uh feltrup um who would you say is your favorite character at least for the first book
1: oh gosh i, I honestly don't have a favorite um i You know, I I loved Sasha for her um, her rebellion at first, and then later on, you know, you you see it somewhat I think in the Red Wolf Conspiracy. But later on, Sasha grows morally quite a lot because she has a a very special burden that she's unaware of in the Red Wolf Conspiracy. You know, know, she has a a certain plot burden in this one that she's you know pretty brave to take on. She's supposed to she's supposed to marry someone that she's never met in order to and centuries of war. And she's like, well, okay, I'm going to do this. You know, um, so I, I loved her for that. I loved also, like I was saying for his, his uh, empathy I think his ability to understand others and, and what they um, they go through and, you know to see himself and others. Felthorpe I've told you, you know what I loved about him stand or ought his deep, deep evil was just a different kind of instrument to play. And he is, he's again, like like Rose, he's like Rose, but not um, as crazy as Rose in some levels. I mean, his ideology is if anything crazier, but his mind is a little clearer. And he's just, he's gone so far down a path of commitment to a depraved cause that, that was fascinating to write. You know, hes he's, unbelievably skillful and and resourceful and good at what he does but what he does is terrible and i liked working with that contradiction you know so for each character it was something different um diadrelu we haven't talked about her but um oh gosh i think that it's possible that Dree is after i think Feltrip turns out to be like the character people talk to me about the most, but Dree is the second most, that people just cannot forget her. And, um, and you know, she is completely turning her back on what all her people, the Ixchel think um, is true and right because she's choosing to trust some human beings when, you know, these six inch tall or eight inch tall Ixchel has been hunted, killed, caged, and displayed as, you know, as curiosities in bottles by humans for centuries. Um, so, you know, the number one rule as an Ixchel is never trust a human and yet she does. And so I loved her for that courage. So I'm afraid no favorites really, Blaze, but um, you know, some reasons to love that are different for each character.
2: Thank you for that, Robert. And uh, that that ends our Discord uh, question. So, Charles, and
0: right. take away yeah i know robert you had mentioned that you had received a few questions yourself if you still like received them directly and if you still wanted yeah. to bring those up then i think that would be a great time to do that before we call it a day
1: yeah okay i think you know bit by bit we've covered a lot of them but here's mm-hmm. one i can see um so someone asked did you ever kill a character and regret it later Yes, yeah. <laughs> more than one <laughs> quite a few actually um not in this book. The ones who die in this book, um, I could live with that. <laughs> yeah, either had it coming or, you know, yeah. Um, but, yeah, and I think it won't be too long. You'll know what I'm talking about when you see it in book two. I won't say more than that. So, yes, yeah. And um, some I actually wish, one or two I wish I had not killed, But most of the time, the ones that hurt, they didn't hurt because I felt like it was a mistake to write it that way. They they hurt just because it hurts, you know, Um, just because it seemed like you know they had so much to live for, right? Um, Okay, other most everything else, um, I think I've hit upon. um, Someone asked what inspired the Xcel, and we kind of covered that, right? It, It was playing with that, playing with scale. Mm -hmm. because they're so tiny um, it was it was exciting to think of them experiencing this giant ship in a way that even the humans never could you know they they know it with an intimacy that no one else does they they hollow out beams to create secret chambers and they have tunnels that they you know plug and open at will so, so they can move in a way that the humans never can they have secret bunkers in the hold inside uh shipping crates and so that was just lots and lots of fun and um you know their the complexity of their civilization came later um uh, at first i it was just the, the sheer joy of imagining characters with that kind of physical presence and yeah that really covers um yeah, i'm just checking my page here no that's really uh that's it wow. that, that's the list of questions
0: well i'm Well, first off, thanks to everyone that wrote a question. I think it's so great that we can add that as part of this, this series that we're doing. And like we said at the top, this has been a really great community that we've managed to pull together. We've got Robert V.S. Reddick fans who are coming in. We have Blaze's Discord of people. Uh, A few people followed us into Blaze's Discord as well. So to have the mix has been a really interesting experience for us so we're super grateful for everyone that's involved and I highly highly recommend anyone listening curious that hasn't joined the discord yet to give it a try because it really is such a unique experience. I've never done anything quite like this. I don't know anyone has a read-along with direct access to the author and then jumping on to do a discussion and kind of bridging the gap between our online discussion and now our over-the-air discussion. It's been an absolute blast. And Robert and Blaze, we can't thank you enough for all the time you've already put into this read-along and all the time we have coming up in the next three months. Thank you so much, both of you.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, I know this is a lot of work, guys. (laughs) It's really fun for me. It's really an honor.
0: It's been great you know I'm really enjoying reading through the series. I want to quickly say before we go that we are reading the Rats in the ruling sea right now I'm going to crack the cover tomorrow. I've been waiting to send this um, recording off before I go in and start the next book and we will be releasing our book discussion of the Rats in the ruling sea on Monday January 10th and that's going to be all over the all over our friends talking fantasy page that date and it'll be on the discord as well so definitely want to you have about you know a month plenty of time to um get into the book and chat along the way Uh, we have each discussion broken by chapters so you don't have to worry about anything getting spoiled for you you know if you read the first couple chapters you can already jump right into the discussion and that's over on blaze's discord and we'll put the links to that in and guys another thing i want to make sure to mention is if you are reading along you have to make sure to check out robert's website robert and click that chatterine voyage link at the top because there's so many terrific, resources there there's a um, map of alpharos there's information about the ship there's the crew each book has a summary portion in it it's really a fantastic destination to to go and check out as you're reading along if you ever have any questions to to jump in there as well highly recommend
1: there are some spoilers though if you um jump forward mm-hmm. and so be careful like if you jump forward to book three or four i think before you know it you might be reading spoilers so just watch out there
0: Got it. Don't. don't oh, I did want
1: to rest. say, Charles, mm-hmm. um, it, just because some people sometimes get confused. Um, in the U.S., they shortened the title of Book Two to just "The Ruling Sea." So you you'll hear us say "The Rats in the Ruling Sea," which was my original title. But you you know, if you're picking up the book, you may see "The Ruling Sea" on a copy. It's exactly the same text. It's just a different title.
0: So. Right. That, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes, it's the Ruling Sea, aka The Rats in the Ruling Sea. I guess in the U.S. they didn't like the idea of the word rat being on a cover of a book
1: (laughs) go figure like I said the number one movie at the time that um, we decided to make that change or they decided to make the change the number one movie in the country was Ratatouille and they were saying yeah, I don't think Americans like rats. I'm like, no, no, look over there. But, yeah, you know, come, come on.
0: I can just picture Neeps running around a parish restaurant, just being totally amazed by all the <laughs> fancy smells and chefs cooking. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. He'd probably enjoy the food too. He'd sneak a few crumbs. <sighs> yeah, Well, Robert, thank you so much for coming on, Blaze, Thank you as well. This concludes the first portion of our read-along, The Red Wolf Conspiracy. We will be back with book two of The Chatham Voyage next month. In the meantime, we are all available on all the social medias and on Discord as well, and all those links are in the description. So, thank you all so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it, and Again, Robert, can't thank you enough for your time and your expertise here. You've added a a lot of meaningful value to this read along. So thank you again very much.
1: Thank you for having me. Really, really an honor and really fun. And I'll see you guys in a month.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll see you guys in a month. Um, Be sure to check out uh, Blaze's podcast and Under the Radar Books blog as well. He's covering a whole bunch of great books over there. Highly recommend checking it out. And of course, Robert's been you've been releasing publishing books recently and other series. You don't want to give those a break. You want to check out Sidewinders, of course. Yeah, there Sidewinder, it is. <laughs> so the fun never stops, guys. Show some support, <laughs> show some love, and we'll let you go. Thank you all so much for listening. And uh, as always, like guys, uh, go forth and conquer, friends.
1: Thanks. Good night.